Hello. I'm guessing this is on because I'm so far away that I have no idea what is being echoed through the hall. Um, thank you very much for having me speak. Um, not really that I want to speak, but that I would love to share what God has, um, I think, said through the passage. And right off the bat, I do want to thank the two guys that have been baptized. They've been a huge encouragement to me over the past couple of years, um, how you guys have wrestled with your faith and um, how you think about what it means to live that out. And also today, definitely when I got up this morning, it was really cold, so the idea of getting wet wasn't fun. Um, before um, I start, let's, let's pray. Let's pray again. Holy Father, um, we call you God. We call you the God of gods. And as we read your word, uh, I, I pray it won't be just me sharing or ranting about some ideas I've had, but we'll see that you're a God who speaks, um, and what you have to say is so important for us to hear. So we pray this, that we'll hear, we'll hear what you have to say. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. So one question to ask, especially on a, on a day like today, uh, especially if you're not someone that usually comes to church, is well, how do you know that this God, the God that we talk about in this hall, is the real God? How would you say that beyond doubt, no, nah, this, this one's the real deal? Um, some people come to this conclusion by lots of readings, um, lots of conversations. Some people, it's a near-death experience. Um, but really, for anyone, any person that believes in something that they don't see, you have to answer that question, don't you? Um, it often starts with asking about something you can't really fix yourself, um, maybe, maybe an illness, and that's what is happening in our story today. There's a man who's sick, he wants healing, and this story is strange. It's not really about baptism, um, but it has a lot of ideas that I think um, encourage us to live changed lives and become convinced that there is a God. The God of the Bible is the one true God. So let's dive in. That's a pun. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, okay. Point one. I heard there was a God. So our story begins with a guy called Naaman. Now, I'm just going to read verse 1. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, that should give us a lot to chew on. See, Aram, now I think that I've had a little Wikipedia picture, a map. It's a neighboring kingdom of where a lot of the Bible happens. That's pretty tiny. Okay, so teal, that's a color. In the top right, that's Aram, and Israel's the blue. So it's a neighboring king kingdom, and in terms of that part of the world, different religion. And if you read through um, some of the books in the Bible, like Kings, like Chronicles, they don't have a great relationship with Israel. They're usually fighting. Um, sometimes there's like a stalemate kind of peace. And Naaman is a commander of this army. He's well-respected, but we should be thinking, wait, if he's from a different country. He's an enemy of Israel. Why, um, why is God favoring him? And it gets more interesting. So he's favored by God, but he's described not as invincible, but having leprosy, as having some kind of skin disease. Now, the Bible 
you know, you know this, it's not a medical textbook. We're not supposed to think what specific disease it is, how contagious, how Naaman got it, but we should be surprised. See, in the culture of the day, having skin diseases was a sign of being unclean, being spiritually unclean. And if you were an Israelite, you might be thinking, oh, if you're reading this leprosy, oh, maybe God's punishing him. See, if you had a skin disease, you weren't allowed to go to gatherings, you weren't allowed to be with other people to worship God. And in fact, most people, they looked down on you. So whatever this disease is, it's obvious to those around him, obvious that even Naaman's servants comment on it. We're going to keep reading. So, now a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. And she said to a mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Samaria is, without going into too much historical detail, it's a part of what was once the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so how hard would it have been to be this girl? She's been kidnapped, she's taken away from her family, and she might be asking questions like, well, if this is real, if this God is real, why didn't, why didn't God save me? But her faith is strong enough to still believe in God, enough that she would say her God is real, and that he has a prophet who can heal. That's a tough gig. Now, in this day and age, we don't think too much about prophets. We don't use that term very much. But in the Bible, in this time, prophets were special people. God spoke through the prophets, and God's had powers. Naaman takes this idea seriously. And after getting permission from his king, getting a letter, um, he leaves. Naaman left with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. When I read that, that didn't mean anything. But to give us an idea, 10 talents of silver, it's more than 300 kilograms of silver. So that's like a wheelbarrow of silver. It's like $200,000 in today's money, which is a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. 6,000 shekels of gold. Um, Imagine, so gold, if you had like an iPhone size, This is about a kilogram of gold, and so more than 60 of these, that comes up to $3.4 million. It's a lot. And quality sets of clothing, they're symbols of success. This is not like cotton on two for $10. This is like, (laughs) this is a lot. Um, And it showed that you were rich. So what is this saying? It's not just saying that Naaman's rich, but he's serious about getting a cure. It's not about um, paying the extra gap in your GP appointment or, or paying for clinical Pilates. This guy, he wants a cure, and he's going to pay whatever it takes to get it. And so he meets Israel's king. What he does next is, is worth thinking about. See, In that age, medical help was linked directly to spiritual problems. And so he goes first to meet the king of Israel. Maybe it's because he's just being polite, and this is a political sort of, I'm going into your country. Or maybe um, he's just trying to find out where this prophet lives. But maybe it's because in that world, kings manipulated, controlled their gods through sacrifices, by having the prophets on their side so that they could have victory in battle, they could have blessings from their harvests, their crops. And whatever the reason, this king is no help at all. We can probably take down that slide. That's 
Yeah. Um, See, when he hears this request for healing, he doesn't respond by pointing to anyone else. He tears his clothes. He's thinking that this other kingdom wants to pick a fight with him. Clearly, he's got no, maybe little, faith in God. And that's important because, like we said before, this this kingdom, um, this Israel, Samaria, they might have talked about gods. They might have thought that um, they were God's chosen people, but in their actions, they don't really have faith in him. And that really bothers God. And the king typifies this. Am I God? As if Naaman was asking him directly to be healed. Enter Elisha. Okay, so who is this guy? Elisha, if you've read the chapters before um, 2 Kings 5, he's a big deal. He's a prophet who's had a reputation for amazing miracles, wonders. He's raised people from the dead. He's had this like infinite oil trick and multiplied bread. And the whole time he's been saying that there's only one God, not lots of different gods from different countries. And so Naaman goes to meet him, but the meeting doesn't go the way he expects. It's kind of like if you went to a doctor and the receptionist decides to give you a diagnosis and sends you away with your bill. What kind of advice is this? Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored. It's definitely not what Naaman's expecting. Let's keep reading verses 11 and 12. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his Lord, his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Why is he so insulted? Well, clearly he didn't get this, the welcome he expected. Maybe he wanted Elisha to be impressed. And it's kind of, he didn't even get to the door to show him his wheelbarrow of silver. He didn't get to show him the fine clothes. No, he just got told by a servant to have a bath. So I actually think Naaman's response is kind of like what I would say in this situation. I mean, think about it. If you've traveled from a long country, it's a long way. You're bringing probably all your wealth. And then at least this guy could come out and see me, summon his magic. But let's slow down and think about that. Because are we actually then expecting that we want God to be impressed with what we bring? I mean, would we expect God to be impressed with the efforts we put in church or the things we support um, do we expect that as if we deserve something from God, he owes us one? Maybe if we follow a procedure, pray in a certain way, then God will do what we want. See, because it might be more comfortable doing those larger acts, the public acts, because they make us look great, but not God. See, Naaman wants healing, but he wants it his way, and right when he wants in his timing. So really, you can see that underlying pride. He didn't get the chance to be showy in front of God. And for us, perhaps if God asks us to do something that we don't think is worth our time or important, 
or maybe life doesn't go the way we want, how do we respond? We get angry, we get frustrated. Pride is a killer, and we can see how it nearly ruined everything for Naaman. But good news for us, good news for Naaman, is that it's not the end of the story. Thankfully, Naaman has people in his life who speaks wisdom. They're not the people he expected. His servants are speaking to him. Verse 13, it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman does what he's told. He goes down to the River Jordan. He dips himself seven times, and he's healed. And more than that, he, he kind of gets like rejuvenated skin, like that of a young man. He's physically and socially no longer an outcast. And his response is huge. In verse 15, it says that he went back to the man of God with all his servants, and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. His idea of God's completely changed. It's not the localized sort of deity that you worship or just cover your bases across lots of gods. No, he doesn't want to worship any of those anymore. And a quick sort of aside is this is not a how-to in getting healing. This is not, um, that would be missing the point entirely if you just follow these steps, get healed, no. In this story, healing is a sign. It's to point us, to point everyone that God is real. So what does that have to do with us? Uh, and what would it have to do with a baptism Sunday? Well, there are two obvious parallels. One is that it has water, and the other one is that people get wet. It's actually the first two reasons why I picked this story. But not all of us are getting baptized today. So let's return to the question that we started at the beginning of today, which is, how do you know that God, this Christian God, is real? See, most of us, for our everyday experience, we don't have that benefit of miracles, of having that supernatural, I guess, vision in front of us every day. And for many of us, we, we pray for healing, and, and it doesn't come. It doesn't come when we expect. Or you just want to know God is real, and it seems like the only answer you get is, is, is that answer, the answer of silence, or someone coughing, or wind. Now, I'm not ruling out miracles. I do believe that God is active today. Um, I'm just saying that that's not really, we don't get that instant God factor. And that's okay, uh, because even as we look at the Bible, it's not like every page is a new amazing wonder, as, in, as if it was this day, the next day, next day. That some of them might have happened decades or years apart. But we do have other things in our lives, or we need other things in our lives to show us that God is real. And, and there's, there's several different categories, but two I want us to think about is the life of Jesus and the lives of each other. See, Naaman's dip in the water, that was a way of showing his family, of everyone around him, 
seeing that, wow, there is no other God that's worthy of worship. There's no other real God. And as we've had Dale and, and, and Bendy tell us, in their beginning baptized to say the same thing. This is the God we believe in. And so as we look at this public showing and we look at the rest of their lives, well, we should see that as they live day to day. Uh, we should see that the way they act, the way they make decisions, in their character, in their patience, in their willingness to forgive that this God, the God they believe in, they take seriously, that they believe is real. We can also see God is real by looking at the life of Jesus. See, as, as I read, I, I mean, and this is a, just a broad, is it a broad encouragement to read the Bible? It is, but I would encourage you to think about not just it as stories, but is, is this guy, is, is, he, is he for real? I mean, when I read the Bible, I think Jesus has a lot to say about how our world works. I don't, think he was a, I don't think he was a crazy guy. I don't think he was just a teacher. When I read that, and when you do the hard work of that, that context, whether it's historically true, I actually think his conclusion is, is right. He was the son of God, and his life points us to God. And that's why, as Christians, we value the Gospels, those four books, so much, or more than that, his word. We work hard to understand that and think through that. Because we need that. Now, most of us have, are quite aware of this. Most of us have lived um, large portions of our life thinking and believing God is true. So I also believe that this passage warns us not to be overly familiar with the idea of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, as we live our lives, it's easy for religion to become just another box of the many things that we do instead of something more. You go to church, maybe you go to a Bible study, go to another meeting and repeat. And it's even harder if you work in a Christian workplace or work in a Christian school where it's, it's there, it's, it's over and over again. Um, someone has this sort of this saying of, like you're being inoculated with Jesus. You just get a little bit all the time, and then it just becomes like a whitewash. And you don't see the wonder of God because you hear it all the time. And you, and you get really good at playing the game of sitting during the sermon or sitting when someone's up there and sort of getting that the sermon face. It's really hard to read. And what's really scary is that in our story, the character that you're most like, or that we wouldn't be most like, is the Israelite king. See, in fact, the whole nation of Israel at this point had lost sight of how amazing God was. And it's not because he wasn't still God on his throne. It's because they stopped paying attention. And what a shame. See, this nation was a nation that had in their history um, seen God as a pillar of fire or being rescued, an entire nation rescued out of slavery. And they had festivals and rituals. But in here and in here, they became bored of God. But not Naaman. He's not bored. He's in awe of God. 
The good thing about Naaman's healing is that throughout, throughout the rest of his life, he would carry that memory. He would have a visible sign that God was the God of gods. Now, we only read the first half of it, because I think there's a lot in that, in that story. But later on, you'll, you'll see that Naaman is so um, wanting to worship God, he offers all of his possessions, and that gets rejected. And so he asks to take uh, two loads of dirt back. Why? He wants to remember, he wants to always know that God was the God of gods. And baptisms are special. Not because we expected uh, a supernatural or some kind of lighting trick to amaze us as they went down in the water, um, but it's something to celebrate. It's good. It's good to clap. It's good to have joy um, because these moments help us in the times when we think God is irrelevant, distant, or small. Because at the end of the day, we need to remember who our God is. That there isn't anyone else worth worshipping. There isn't anyone who, who offers that healing of not just our bodies, but our spirit. And it's important for us to hold on to this. As, as John's mentioned before and talked about um, the big changes in our church life, it's pretty exciting um, our five-year vision is coming to a close, and we're intentionally thinking about, well, what will this mean to partner with another church? We've started up some other ministries that we're hoping will um, encourage those in our community, both here and in, in Pennant Hills area. And really, we need to think before any of that, well, what, what do we think of God? What are we on about? We need to have a big picture of God. We need to have a clear conviction that he isn't just one of many things that we do, but that he is the God of gods. It's not, we're not doing this out of a, a well-thought-out business strategy. It's not just that. Um, we're not copying other churches. No, we need something more than that. And so it returns to that same question. Whether you're at school, whether you're starting work, whether you're juggling kids or thinking about retirement, it's the same question. Who is your God? What, is, what does he mean for you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Father, you are God, and we so easily forget that. But we need you. We need your wisdom. Help us to be continually amazed by you. Amen.